I'm Batsi. Welcome to my Design Q&A podcast with extraordinary people. I love having conversations with leaders in design, product, innovation, and technology. Here's hoping you find design inspiration for today and food for thought for tomorrow. Awesome. It's amazing that we've got um, people from very backgrounds. So like we've got uh, yep. product owners, designers, technologists. So it's, yeah, it's a nice, nice mix of people. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Again, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can only share what I know, eh? so yeah, I'm excited. It's, uh, <laughs> like our, our, our last conversation was super rad. Um, that could have gone on for ages. So I'm keen That's to dive cool. into a little more of the nuts and the bolts. Um, it's quite uh, it's quite interesting to see this week already. Like I've worked on some stuff uh, for for Omnia. Now I work for Omnia, a company in, in Dubai. I'm based out of South Africa. For those that don't know. Um, as the, the practice lead for the design systems. Um, currently working on a couple of projects, um, uh, Abu Dhabi government, uh, building out a system for all of the sort of subsidiaries within the government. It's like 170 wow. different platforms. Um, so that's quite a system. Um, and to support like that, yeah, <laughs> it's actually not too bad because um, we're dealing with sort of like the high level um in the government and then from that project we're going to build subsystems to support everything else um but again it's it's like they they have a lot of different properties web properties and stuff and apps and yeah. so it's building out a pretty robust system to support all of that um and that's kind of led me down the path of okay how how do we how do we do this thing you know smartly um and actually get that what we'll discuss today that end-to-end sort of product system versus just yeah. design and the government is an interesting one because they've got like uh, a really heavy emphasis on accessibility i'm sure yeah. you're seeing all of that yeah so again it's it's not just some some components in a library it's there's a lot of thinking around you know how this impacts accessibility different languages um different audiences different clients it's uh, right it's, it's quite vast um and then yeah so that's kind of led me to start working on like an internal system at Omnia, um, call it like a material design or whatever, but basically a system that we can use internally to help support us in our projects, um, yes. foundation perspective. Um, but again, like w- what I'm passionate about is that end-to-end design through to production code. Uh, when we talk about design systems, uh, yeah, uh, Brad Frost and I are having a, a bit of a debate about design systems versus product systems and we're on Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some heavy hitters, man. Like every design system uh, presentation I've seen references Brad. So, yeah, today will as well. <laughs> he's uh, oh, well, he's well, my man. The that. So, yeah. I think we've got enough people online. So, I'll just make you share your screen and over to you. Awesome. Ishmael, I see that comment. It's got nothing to do with SAP at all. Thankfully, <laughs> but we could. Okay. So how do you want to do this, Andrew? Do you want people to ask questions uh, while we're doing it and then you'll answer as we go along or? Yeah, so I'm pretty flexible. Um, like I prefer having conversations versus like me just speaking. Um, again, this is, is it's a little bit loose today because um, a lot of it's changed in this last week and I'm quite excited to show you kind of what I've been working on and what I was able to yesterday finally get working properly. Um, 
So it, it'll hopefully show some exciting things for the future and maybe open up mindsets to, to how design systems can be used um, and should, should maybe be used. Um, so yeah, I'll dive in um, and then you can stop me as and when. Perfect, let's go. Sweet, let me share my screen here. Um, sorry, I haven't really used this product before, so hopefully this all works well. Here we go. Sweet, I think it's it's all up. Um, so I'm not I'm gonna stay in in this mode. I'm not going into full presenter presenter mode, so I can kind of track where where we're going with this. Um, so as I've said, um, I work for a company in in Dubai called Omnia. Uh, we are open for growth. Um, we were doing some some pretty awesome work in in banking and um, in government and, and property and stuff. Um, we're a branding agency, a consultancy, um, and yeah, we've got great people and we've got great projects. Um, we are on the look for for resource. Um, so if you're keen to move to Dubai or, or potentially be remote, depending on skill set, um, we'd love to chat. So so definitely reach out after this. So uh, my name is Andrew Ferson. Uh, I'm currently the practice lead for, for Omnia Design Systems. Um, I'm a part-time athlete uh, focused on triathlon. Well, not really at the moment, uh, more cycling and running. Um, but work's had me pretty busy for a while. Um, I have a very squint cat and his name's Tom. And if you didn't believe me, that's Tom the cat with his very squint eyes. Um, he's a Burmese um, and he has an impressive skill that he can look at two things at once. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a funny story. I actually got him for my wife um, for a birthday present one year and um, him and I bonded in the car and he's become my cat, which is pretty awesome watch against me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a designer turned technologist. Um, started in design, print design, then digital design, moved into front end, fell in love with front end dev. Um, and that's kind of led me to, to where I am today. I'm super passionate about end to end product cycles. Um, I've been in design systems for six years. I've recently left a, a bank in South Africa called Nedbank, uh, where I built and led uh, the design system team there for, for six years, um, which has led me to where I am today. So design systems, this is uh, kind of why we're all here today, right? Um, so as I was saying, but see, like, I, and I'm keen to keep this as a conversation as I keep talking. So feel free to jump in. Um, Brad Frost and I are kind of chatting a bit about this in terms of design systems versus product systems. And, uh, you know, the problem with whenever something's labeled with a specific term, then people have this mindset or understanding of what this thing should be or could be. Um, and especially stakeholders within organizations, they, they hear the word design systems and they just think it's a design thing. And it's, that's not the case, right? Um, so I've got a big drive at the moment to, to kind of move this into product systems. Um, and yeah, we can discuss a little bit later, but you know, Brad, and, and rightly so, like they predominantly are design systems and they focus around design systems. But from my experience, that word design just creates a lot of issues at organizations who don't understand this process. Um, so when we start to talk about product, they understand that you know product includes technology design um business um influence um product you know speaks to the clients the users um design can be quite isolating as a term so what are design or product systems um those who are on, uh, online who, who worked at nedbank with me or still at nedbank would have seen some of the stuff in my masterclass last year 
But some people think, you know, a style guide is a design system or a UI kit is a design system or a design library is a design system or maybe a UI pattern library or some UX guidelines um, or, you know, a tech component library. And all of these things are, are great and very valuable within design systems or product systems. Um, but a product system combines multiple or all of these separate elements and sometimes even more. Um, as, as technology grows, as the landscape grows, um, the things are, are kind of being added all the time. Um, but, you know, a design system or a product system is, a, you know, a combination of, of, of all of these and many or many things. Um, and like I said, I want to focus on the, the technology side of things because that's where I'm passionate about. Um, you know, it's not a very, uh, um, this might be taken in a bad light, but users don't interact with your designs. They interact with the technology that, that kind of builds those designs out. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from design here. Um, but if, if technology isn't built correctly um, and if the technology isn't up to the standard of the design, that user experience can be, can be broken quite quickly. So as we said, Brad Frost, uh, my man crush um, when it comes to design systems. Um, me and, you and me both, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've had the privilege of actually spending some time with him. Uh, a couple of times he came out to a conference called Pixel App in South Africa. Um, so I actually got a, a signed autograph copy of, of his book, Atomic Design. Um, but yeah, Brad's Atomic Design is a book that, you know, is, is doesn't sort of have anything new in it. It's just the way that he's kind of presented the, the thinking. The thinking has been around for a very long time. Um, but I'm sure we all know, you know, the atomic principles in terms of atoms making molecules, making organisms that lead to templates and pages. Um, but why I wanted to touch on atomic design is not so much the principles, but that even in, you know, the, the first edition of this book that Brad, Brad was already looking at sort of the product side of things in terms of templates and, and, and pages versus just design. Um, and at the end of the day, the product is what our users use, as I said before, um, not just the elements of design that make up that, that product. And technology greatly influences all the products that we work on. Um, so like something that I've been working over and this will kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this is like sort of the product system tool chain. Um, and that kind of looks like this for me at the moment. <laughs> where you know we start in design figma it used to be sketch for, for us at nedbank um and then design and dev integration um so something that i've been working with is the figma api which is amazing and sketch needs to wake up and learn a lot in terms of the stuff um and then a, a tool called figmagic that's been uh, built by an awesome developer um which we'll get into that a little bit later and then the next stage is sort of local development. And I've just got, you know, Visual Studio Code as a code editor, Git in terms of um, source control. Um, then what Brad Frost likes to call the, the storefront. Um, I'm currently using Storybook. We use Storybook at NetBank, but you could use Pattern Lab. You could use things like Fractal.Build, which we initially used at NetBank. Um, but basically the storefront is a, a place for UI elements to be built out in, in code. Um, but it, that isn't tied to sort of the 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 organization or the product code base um, where you currently work or are involved in you know often the case is you work it or you chat to people about their design system in their in their company and 
they've got these components that have been built out that are tied to sort of their, their design library in some form. But generally, the developers are, are used to working in a, a, a production environment from a code base, and that's kind of where they start, um, where I think you know, that, that, that's a bit of a failing. Um, the whole idea is for UI elements, for design elements to be built in terms of like presentational front-end components um, rapidly, quickly, not tied to databases, not tied to an environment, et cetera, that can be tested, commented on, updated quite rapidly and iteratively. Um, and then basically taking those UI components taking them across to what we'll call later the uh, reference later as sort of the back of front-end developers um, to kind of tie those components into production code, databases, um, all of that stuff. Um, and then basically into the application that you, you're working on. Um, so as I was leading to, not, not, not all engineers are made for design systems. Not all engineers are made for front-end. Um, this is... Uh, can be quite not PC in in my world, um, but not all developers are equal, and not all developers should be equal. Um, we've all heard the term full stack developer, JavaScript developer, Angular developer, React developer, web developer, front end developer, um, and like my biggest bugbear is full stack developer. It's like the unicorn that doesn't actually exist, but everyone claims to be. Um, and this sort of engineers aren't. Not all engineers are made for design systems. Again, comes from Brad Frost, um, where he makes this very clear definition between sort of the front of front end and the back of front end, which I 100% um, agree with um, and, and am aligned to. Um, so basically, front of front end is what you would, what most of us would consider sort of UI-focused developers. Um, and the problem is a lot of people there aren't a lot of these people anymore um, because everyone's become these unicorns that, you know, are full stack, Angular, React, whatever, PHP developers. Um, and the unfortunate side of that is like the the back of front end, as Brad refers to it, is, is quite intensive uh, from a brain perspective and an actually implementation perspective um, that that then takes most of your focus as a developer rather than the UI um, and the, the sort of functional front-end stuff. Um, not functional, the um, design-orientated front-end stuff. Um, and it's super critical, in my opinion, and Brad's opinion, um, to have the separation. Um, I've said this a, a lot while I was at NetBank. Um, you know, a, a lot of developers have moved into the sort of front-end developer space um, from back-end development, specifically on the, the JavaScript framework side, um, because it is more sort of data orientated and, and functional orientated. So got a lot of Java developers, PHP developers, .NET developers coming into this space. Um, and they're considered front-end developers, but they're not really front-end developers. They're back of front-end developers. Um, and we need to start to make this, this distinction. That's so because I'd never thought of it that way, but now that you make the distinction, um, I, I can start to see why some of the engineers I've worked with kind of where their failings are because we, we haven't made that distinction. I mean, just because someone knows Angular doesn't mean they're front-end, right? Totally. Um, and not just and just because someone knows front-end Angular doesn't mean that they should be 
you know, doing the back end of a- Angular. Um, right. Like JavaScript frameworks are great because they do a lot of the heavy lifting from a, they, they take a lot of the back end sort of old school heavy lifting and bring it into the front end world, which is great, but they still back end orientated sort of functions and systems and processes. Um, and like I said, as a developer, it's, it's really hard to have a good handle of both the front of front end and back of front end. Um, the guys who can do it, the people who can do it, not just guys, <laughs> uh, South African term there, don't, uh, don't hold it against me. Um, but you know, again, it's it's this the idea of be, being sort of a jack of all trades or, or someone who's a specialist and, and actually can can yeah. do a great job in a specific area. Um, and the problem is, like most developers who come into this space are more geared towards the functional side of things. They care about things working correctly, passing yeah. data, um, presenting data, taking users through the journey, making sure that everything happens in the flow that should happen in the flow, and not so much focused on how that flow flows and the experiences and what the UI elements look like. Um, yeah. And this is where I think, you know, Batsy, what we were talking about in our last chat is, you know, where I think a lot of designers can step into this space a bit. And I think design systems, product systems, um, kind of open the door for designers to step into this, right? Um, I think a lot of designers are scared about quote unquote front end because of the back of front end element, right? Because it's yes. the scary world. But when it comes to things like HTML, styling, accessibility, animations, SVGs, theming, that's all design world, right? It's, it's yeah. all how like as designers we think every day. Um, people think about HTML and they get scared, but actually it's just structural components, like how you actually structure and build out the framework of, um, you know, a component, a page, uh, a template, whatever the case is. Um, so switching your brain from structuring components in design to structuring components in a technical landscape shouldn't be that difficult. And it takes a little bit of upskilling to get into that space. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of tools that help us these days, right? You don't have to be this ninja code warrior to be able to do this stuff. Um, and that's where I think, you know, going back to, um, you know, having this quote unquote storefront like storybook and pattern lab where designers can actually dive in in a UI from a front end perspective and actually make changes, update things, tweak things um, in a visual manner um, helps people get to the sort of front of front end sort of focus. It's interesting you you put it this way because um, back at agency, we always had this concept of um, a creative writer and an art director paired, right? So you have copywriter and art director working as a creative team. Uh, And that yielded very uh, amazing results because you have two people that are approaching the same problem in different ways and coming up with creative ways to to solve that problem. And I saw this when I was doing a project with my brother uh, and I am more of a uh, front-end person and because he has a a history in back-end, he's a back-end dev. And he was um, doing the back of front end uh, Angular work. Yeah. So we worked as a co- almost like a code creative team because I would do all the heavy lifting on the front end and he would do the front end, but the back of front end uh, really well because he was looking at it from a different perspective of, like you're saying, the performance side, um, how to actually make the journey work uh, from a technical perspective and linking that to the back end. So I think, yeah, it, it's, it's an, it's a, it could be an interesting way to approach um, front end in that we can create teams of front end devs 
one person who is front-end, front-end, and one person who is back or front-end, and those two um, as specialists would work really well together. Yeah, totally. And I think even the, the back or front-end, you know, can be multiple people often, often it needs to be because there's a lot of heavy lifting that needs to happen in that space. Um, yeah. But having, you know, a front-end designer, as I like to reference, like a, you, you might be a front-end developer, but you actually focus on design. You're not so much focused on developing anything. You, you, you're crafting components, you're crafting UI in a technical landscape. Um, I see, do you want to maybe dive into some of the questions if they're... So do so one question from Uthman. What would your ideal developer for design system have in stem from skill in terms of skill? So I think I touched on this uh, in our last conversation, but again that, that front or front end I think needs to be removed from technology. Um, so it's great to have React developers and Angular developers understand front-end and, and they, they're valuable. Um, but I think from a technology perspective, when we're talking about design systems from product systems, I think we need to remove it from the system as much as possible in terms of the application system that we're working with. Um, so skilled in HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, jQuery, things like Bootstrap, have an understanding of that space. But I think you know the demand of hey, we're looking for uh, a mid-weight uh, engineer who's got seven years experience with React and Angular and PHP and .NET. And like, that's not the requirement uh, from a design system perspective, a product system in my, in my perspective. It's someone who values design, who understands the importance of experience design um, and cares about the, the user experience at the end of the day, right? So um, that creating those those magical moments on the front end. Um, it's, it's someone who cares about the process and, and the, the work and the effort that's gone into crafting the design for this thing um, and pulling that through in terms of uh, the front end. Because right. once we've got that sort of figured out from a component and layout, templates, pages, flows perspective, in terms of design to front end UI, that can then be handed over to the back of front end guys to tie into the application and make functional. But they're then not going to break the UI or the design or the experience because that's already been done from a front end, like technical perspective. Yes. And, awesome. and like we said last time, I think the generally the people in my experience who play that role really, really well are designers turned front end technologists. Um, it's, it's very rare to find a, a, a person who started in development with a technical brain who appreciates, loves design as much as designers love design and care about design. Um, that's often where we get this sort of bashing heads of the us versus them in terms of design and dev. <laughs> Sounds like a mythical creature. <laughs> Look, they can be found. And the problem is, <sighs> until we start having these conversations about the separation of quote unquote front end, no one's going to move into those spaces, right? The demand at the moment for engineers is you need to do everything. And the, the problem is from a, an organization perspective and from a, a design led organization perspective, 
the the onus is on those people hiring the right people and asking for the right people. And so they start asking for those individuals. They're going to keep getting that generic developer. Um, yeah, I'm not meaning to upset anyone in terms of my language today, but it is what it is. Um, Awesome. We've got another question from Sir. Uh, wouldn't that be inefficient? Someone who understands front-end tech would save a lot of time and create exactly what required, what's required by developers. Uh, I hear where you're coming from, but I think that's where the difference is, right? Um, I think front-end engineers should not be worried about development requirements necessarily. The, the whole role of a technical developer is to build a technical landscape to take in the business requirements, the user requirements, and the design requirements. Um, and so often, and I've been in this position myself as an engineer, as, as a technologist, where it's like, ooh, building this thing is going to be really difficult. And I'm not quite sure if it's possible or if I can do it. So I'm just going to push back and say it's not possible. Um, and that's where, like, I find often in in, in teams and, and and even at NetBank is working with offshore developers who are the more back of front end Angular developers, yeah. pushing back all the time to say this thing's not possible, this thing's not possible, we can't do this thing. But then when you get a proper front or front end engineer who understands Angular or whatever the the, the application code is, is actually like, hey. Actually, that is possible. It's just difficult. Um, let's go down that road together. Let's work at that thing. Um, and also, like a lot of those back of front end, front end developers don't understand what things like CSS can do and CSS in JavaScript can do. Um, and that's where they need that person who who does understand that landscape of like, okay, CSS is a design tool. It's not a, a front end tool. It's not a, an application tool. It's that CSS is where we make all the beautiful things in front end, right? And there's so much that CSS has to offer that most front end developers don't know about because that's not where they focus. They focus on the latest and greatest Angular versions and what's node packages and modules and tying things and data sets and databases. So again, it's, it's the same as asking a designer to be a designer of all design things, you know? So, so being, you know, sort of, photography designer, post print, print designer, web designer, you know, design all the things and you have to be a specialist at all those things. It's, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. It's not practical. So we've got a question here from Awada. Um, how can you kind of make something solid initially before you start the project? Got any tips you have on, uh, like the basics of a design system that will be a great foundation for you to actually start the project. Yeah. So you have to redo things. Yeah, so I mean, we're kind of in that position at the moment with the Abu Dhabi project, um, where we're current, we're working sort of hand in hand with another agency who's doing design work, um, and we're needing to wait on that stuff for the system integration stuff from a design system, product system perspective. Um, and we kind of spun a little bit at the beginning of the project thinking like, okay, we have to wait for these guys to be able to do anything because we don't have the visuals, right? Right. But then we got to thinking like, actually, a card is a card, a button is a button, an input is an input. We can start to lay those foundations. Yeah. Um, and from my experience in the last sort of couple of months since I've been at Omnia and working this way and thinking this way um, is 
it's enabled us to think about the, the core principles, the core foundations, the, the core fundamentals in terms of how components and elements and flow should work without the styling, right? Yeah. Um, so, so it's given us sort of a, a head start in terms of, and that's kind of what, what led me down this road sort of the last couple of weeks of like this internal system that we, we were, I'm working on um, to quote unquote white label uh, a design system, a, a product system um, that has the, the, the framework and the fundamentals and the foundations that most projects in our world will need. Um, yeah. Yes, the projects will need you know, some customization and some extra things and that kind of stuff. But the the core element um, and core system should be able to support a, a wide variety of different projects um, and should give us sort of a, a leap into to those projects, right? We don't have to start from scratch all the time. Um, even things like UX guidelines, documentation, uh, templates, right? So the documentation isn't the same for everyone, but the template can be and the structure can be and having those sort of ready to go for, for multiple clients, for multiple projects, um, and specifically in this greater project is a project within a project within a project. Um, so yeah, don't, there, there's always some way to start. Um, and I, I would say start with those things. Um, that, yeah, when we look at the sort of design to development and all the things between and what can we use and what frameworks and what technologies, it can get quite messy. And I think getting that sort of out the way before you kind of really kick off a project is super important. Awesome. Well, we'll field one more question. Then I wanted you to kind of talk us through Figma API, Figmagic, and how that builds into a design team is process. So one more question, then we'll jump into that. So what can what advice can you give designers who are working with front-end developers um, in order to kind of help them with this approach of creating components, uh, variance pattern, design tokens, like when you're working with uh, FEs who've never done it before? Yeah. Okay, so... Back? Again, I mean, we touched on this in our last session and it's breaking this divide between design and development, right? And that's why I think, like, got me really passionate about product systems versus design systems is from design through to production code, business, BA, product owner, stakeholder, we're all about the product. Not all of us is about design. Exactly. If we call this a front-end system, or a technology system, then designers would be like, this is not a thing for me. So I think what's super important, Ishmael, and I call him Ish, we work together at NetBank, um, is, is communication, right? So I think the problem is designers expect developers to know their world. Developers expect designers to know their world. So like I said last time, let's get into each other's worlds. Like we work in the same teams, we're part of the same product teams. Let's communicate, ask questions. Hey, how does this work in your world? Why, when I when I present a, a flow or a whatever, and the developer says, "Hey, that's not going to work," don't let it end there. Ask why. Get them to show you. Get them to make you understand these processes. Because the more we understand of each side of of the playing field, the less sort of disruption we'll have within our, our own teams. From a design system thinking perspective, not everyone gets it, right? It's, um, I think people look at a material design or um, a Salesforce lightning design system, whatever, and they, they think they know what that thing is. Um, but 
that's why like these masterclasses are important. I think a lot of people need to be taken through the process of what actually is this thing. And again, back to the breaking down the silo of design system, product system, which is still a design system, right? I'm not saying we need to change the terminology, but the thinking needs to change um, from my my perspective. Um, And not from a, a design world perspective, design world, we understand what design systems are in the design side, right? But it's the other side of things that actually from a, an organization point of view, that's where the rubber hits the road. Creating consistency and alignment in design is great, but creating consistency alignment in a code base is another level. Like that takes an organization from, okay, we're spending money on a bunch of designers to do a bunch of design to actually this thing is now making us money saving us money it's hitting our bottom line so that's where the shift changes um, and if we can take the what we've known from about 2015 when design systems kind of kicked off and is very focused on the design side of things and we've seen the the, the benefits of it on the design side i think we're only starting to get into that place of understanding the value on the technology side and the code base side because yes it's always ended at design and that's where my passions come from in terms of let's break that cycle let's start talking about product and let's let this these amazing tools and and systems affect the end-to-end chain absolutely because you're you're exactly right that our users use our code right they interact with code not figma totally all Uh, eyes have to be on the code yeah so this is going to be an interesting demo because it is extremely fresh. Like I literally got this up and running last night after pulling all of my hair out, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe let, let me preface kind of what's going on here. So coming out of NetBank from Sketch to uh, Figma, um, I've been um, you know focused on Sketch for a long time and not really focused as a designer on design tools for a long time, but now diving into Figma, trying to understand Figma. I'm still getting my head around it. There's a lot that Figma offers um, and Figma is amazing from a technologist perspective, which we'll get into um, because they think like Figma as a design tool actually thinks about that end-to-end design to development, to production code. um, And they care about that whole sort of tool chain flow, right? Um, Because if things start- is Is a computer science guy, that's why. Yeah. The thing is, like, if things start in design and they end in design, what's the point? Um, and that's often the case, right? We, we get our designs to a point where we're happy and stakeholders are happy. And then we hand it over, we throw it over the wall to development. Um, and something comes out the end that might resemble what, you know, we kind of designed. Um, and there's reasons often for why that happens. Um, but we can overcome a lot of that. And I think Figma have invested heavily in that. Um, And yeah, so like I was saying, the thinking of this is, and this is super high level, it's proof of concept. I can't take um, full credit for all of it. I'm I'm using stuff from from sort of open source world. Um, Figmagic has kind of opened my eyes to the fact that what I've been thinking is possible. Um, I think there's a lot that can be done to take this further and we'll talk about that. but basically, we'll go from Figma, we'll look at designs, we'll look at design tokens. People might not know 100% what design tokens are. We won't look at the API necessarily in terms of the te- techni- technicality of it. Um, so my cats are super keen to come and say hi. Um, but we'll look at sort of how Figma 
integrate with our local code base, uh, how we can integrate with Figma from our local code base, should I say, through the API, um, and, and see the, the power that currently exists um, and can be expanded on. And then obviously that flow into sort of a browser-based um, export of that. So let me share my screen again. Gotta find the right one. So let me know if you can see Figma. We can see it. Okay, great. So we'll start here. I mean, this is, as you can see from the heading, this is a testing area. Paratus is, is what we're calling our internal design system at Omnia. Um, but basically, Omnia, in Omnia, Paratus means um, prepared for, for anything, ready for everything, um, which I like a lot. And hopefully we can showcase a little bit of this to the world quite soon. Um, but yeah, so starting in sort of high level token world, variable world, we've got some colors here um, with, you know, token names. If you don't know what tokens are, we can we can chat about that a little bit later. But basically high level tokens are like a variable that you can set within Figma that you can use in multiple areas. Um, so set the color once, use it everywhere, update it once, it updates everywhere. Um, and we'll just have a look at. Does, yeah. does Figma have native token support now? Uh, Figma doesn't have native token support. Um, well, yes and no. That's a very complicated question um, because how this is all working today doesn't use a plugin to export these um, these variables and these these tokens. Um, okay. But things have to be structured a very specific way in order for this thing to work uh, from Figmagic's point of view. Right. Um, they basically. So what the API is doing is taking a whole bunch of database assets or, or classes or, or titles and things and exposing it to the world, basically. And you can go and grab those things and do with them as you will. Um, so Figmagic is basically doing that integration piece, grabbing the right things from the files, from the right files. Things have to be named very specifically um, and structured very specifically, which we'll talk about now in terms of its limitations. And that's why this is more a proof of concept than a sort of final um, hurrah. Um, but it'll kind of show the thinking. Um, so yeah, so we've got a bunch of colors and then I've just basically built out a, a, a basic component and a button and showed a whole bunch of different states. I'm going to go through this quite quickly and quite high level because I think it'll lead. We'll just wait a couple of seconds, might be a connection issue. I think you are on mute. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now. Sorry, I don't know what happened. My whole external system just kind of shut down. <laughs> oh, no worries. <sighs> okay, the joys of technology. Let me reshare. Okay, can you see my screen? Done, we can see it. Great. Sorry for that technical interruption. Um, 
so as I was saying, we'll go through this quite a high level because I think it'll lead to a lot of questions and we, yeah, we don't really have the time to dive into the weeds. We can maybe do that another time. Um, but basically I've created a high level component here, a default button with a harvest state, a disabled state, a warning button, and then an error button just for, for this demo. Don't really have demo um, error buttons. And then you can see the color styles um, that kind of match to uh, these design tokens um, that we looked at just now. Uh, everything's going to be all over the show. Um, so let me just, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into this now. Uh, I'm just going to stop sharing my screen and then reshare the next screen because this application is strange. Can you see my code editor? Yeah. Great. Um, so basically what I want to just kind of show you here is I've got a, a blank project um, that has a source uh, folder in it that has an index file, a utility file, but there's no other like sort of files in this um, application at the moment. Um, this is a React project. Um, React and Figma play very nicely together. So that's As you would expect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so let me... Again, I have to stop sharing and resharing. Let me just share my whole screen. And then if people see what they can't see, they're not supposed to see, that's fine. Just for the sake of ease. Yeah, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, can see code editor again, correct? Let me add it to the stream. Yes. Sorry. Okay, cool. Okay, so this is a game, a code base. There's nothing in it. It's a blank project. There's, there's nothing in our source, um, source folder. So now what Figmagic does is basically it's a it's an include in this project um, that you can run. You basically link it to uh, Figma. You can see Figma, right? I've just switched. Yes. Perfect. Um, so through Figma, you can basically create, um, if you go into your settings, uh, help an account and go to account settings. Um, you can create tokens basically um, for different applications oh, and then use that token, okay. use that token to link to your code base. So that's basically your key to the API um, and to your specific document. So you, you get a, a a Figma like API token and you get a Figma like uh, project file token and that basically allows you to point to this file and then what Figmagic has done is they basically created um, sort of a framework that goes and looks for specific things through the API so it'll go and look for um, you know something called well anything basically in the token file we've just got colors here we've actually got a whole bunch of other tokens um, but it'll look for different boards, look for, it'll find colors, and then within that structure, it'll go and create um, these sort of quote-unquote tokens. They're not technically tokens from a dev perspective, but Figmagic makes them tokens on the dev side. So it's right. pulling the data from the Figma API, um, not in a token format necessarily, but then it creates the token format for you inside of your code base. What it also does is we'll go and look for this elements page and I'll go and look for anything on this page if it's structured in a specific way and it will create the JavaScript and front end components wow. in code from wow. the design. <laughs> That's incredible. 
So as I was saying, there's nothing in this code base, right? So I've created this, I've created the design tokens. I'm gonna go into my code base. And in my terminal here, I'm just gonna run a command called npx figmagic, which basically says figmagic, go and do your thing. Figmagic, so, do your magic. Exactly. So now it's connecting to Figma. It's gone and done a whole bunch of stuff very quickly, but it's basically um, writing a Figma base file, writing the design tokens, and then passing those elements. And if you can see here in my source uh, folder, let me just zoom in a little bit, there's an elements folder and a tokens folder. Now in that tokens folder, we've got all of those colors that we created. Label the same as they've been labeled here. Primary, primary high, primary low, alert, etc. Primary, primary high, primary low, alert. But what it's also gone and done is it's gone and created this button component in JavaScript, basically. And it's created the storybook story for that component. Oh, wow. It's pulled out all the CSS, basically. So it's pulled in all of the tokens that it requires for this component. It's got base CSS for that, the default state, the hover state for default, hover st uh, disable state warning, etc. Oh, wow. And then basically as a JavaScript file that basically takes those styles and styles to that button. Yeah. But now what we can do is we can run our storybook instance. To pull out a storybook instance. There's the default button in its default state. It's a little bit tricky in terms of understanding. It's, it's that button itself is just the base styles for all of the buttons. So it's not a specific button. So the one right. thing I need to do is go in here and just add in class name of default. Update to the default button with the hover state. Now, I haven't made any code, right? This is kind of all done on its own. But now, exactly. imagine <laughs> in this is if I go, now I've got my um, project open here and I've got my storybook instance running at the bottom, right? So, storybook is actually running. And if I go and change this to running and save it, storybook updates bottom right there. And in the browser, it's updated to the warning button. So if I just change this back to default, this will work off that guy. So it's back to default. So now Storybook's running out looking for any changes, right? So if we go back into Figma and we go down to our primary quote unquote um, token and we change this primary to dark gray. Changes the token here changes the default button here. Now if I go to my code base and I run npm figmagic again, again goes and looks looks for any changes. Um, you could see the storybook down here ran again. If we go back to our browser, that button has changed. Wow. <laughs> so again, we've designed a simple component in Figma in a specific structure. We've created a React code base with Storybook in it, with Figmagic in it. We've linked our uh, Figma API token, our design file token specifically for that file or our, our, our um, document. Um, run the Figmagic command. It's gone and pulled all of the things that we need from Figma, even the code for those components. 
I'm not saying it's the best code, but it's functional code. Um, yeah. And with Storybook running, um, we can basically have everything running live. Um, again, we can go back in here, change this, this uh, to grid. Again, just run this command in XFig Magic. We'll go and fetch the changes. You see, bottom right, Storybook will cut those changes because there's something changed in the document. Go back to the browser, and that button's red. Right. Obviously, this is very high level. It's very superficial, but this can be done with basically any design token. So we can talk border radius, border thickness, yeah. font, yeah. font height, spacing, padding, line height. Um, the the, the sky is pretty much endless here, right? Amazing. You can see the power of this once you have like a fully stocked out design system, like component library. Exactly. So I mean, Amazing. Yeah. So this is basically super high level, right? As I was saying. Um, but the benefit of it is that a designer could do this, right? Without having to, it's quite easy to set up this, this dev environment with Figmagic and with Storybook. Um, there are a couple of commands to run. It runs on your local machine. The The learning curve is, is very low. You don't have to know the ins and outs of React to do this. Um, yeah. If a front-end, back-off front-end, front-off front-end developer could get you up to speed pretty quickly. And then as a designer, you can be doing this stuff in Figma, seeing the outputted components in Storybook. You can then upload that to get your developers could be using that to reference as front-end components, not designs anymore from a component perspective. Yeah. Um, and the, the amazing thing is, you, you know, you can, the, 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 the possibilities are endless here. Um, yeah, we could get into a whole bunch of, of other stuff here. Again, this is just a POC proof of concept to show that sort of live design to live browser component with one command. Um, so we've, yeah. had, we've had a couple of people asking if uh, recording will be available. Yes, it will. It'll be available on LinkedIn as well as YouTube. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll share those links uh, after this. Then we've got a question from Uthman. Uh, do you implement any kind of branching with, uh, with this kind of pipeline? Um, so you can. Again, that's the, the possibilities are pretty much endless, right? Um, so I'm just going to turn this off because it's... Um, the possibilities are endless uh, and that's the thing is like like I said this is a, a POC um, there's a lot more that can be done I mean um, at the moment Figmagic doesn't take into account uh, Figma properties so that's why the components have to be like structured in a very specific way that's not latest and greatest and not the most efficient from a Figma perspective um, but I know they are working on that um, but again it's those things can be developed by anyone. Um, everyone has access to the the, the Figma API, um, developers, designers, whoever. Um, so this is kind of is the the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. Um, I, the the benefit for me here is design things live in design world, technical things live in technical world, and they talk to each other. So there's no divide now in terms of oh, I didn't understand that or I didn't get this correctly or the format was incorrect, like. The design UI elements, the the variables, the tokens, like 
they, they import automatically. The developer can't say they don't have this thing because if it's structured and set up correctly, um, it automatically comes through. Um, and, you know, I've always been very wary of the design to code sort of tools, um, but this isn't sort of a design tool like Figma creating code. This is a piece of code connecting to Figma, talking to Figma, saying, hey, give me what you've got, then let me do the code thing because I understand the code thing. Uh, so the code can be as good or as bad as the developer creating sort of the quote-unquote plugin uh, to talk to Figma. Um, so my sort of next steps here is, okay, now that I've got an understanding of how this all works and how it connects is, okay, let me dive into the, the API. Let me see what's available. Let me see how we can ingest information from Figma, how do we handshake properly? And then how do we set up the other side to be able to receive as much of the goodness of Figma as possible um, to kind of take the, again, the front or front end away from back or front end guys. People. Amazing. Cool. We've got a question, so we'll try and get through some questions because they're piling up. <laughs> so first question is Uthman. Uh, so if you have a primary blue, like your primary kind of brand blue that's connected to a lot of components, uh, but you decide to only change it on the button, um, is that possible? How would you do that? And I think it kind of links to my question, which was going to be, um, does Fig Magic work with aliasing now? Like, can you create a token that references another token, and then you can only change that token, which is, I think, part of Uthman's uh, question. Yeah, so so token aliasing, like I said, it's how Fig Magic currently works. And again, like Fig Magic is great, but I don't think it's a tool for me, at least. It, it, it's more, like I said, a proof of concept. It's, it's something that shows the capabilities, but I think something right. else needs to be developed. And I think Fig Magic might become that thing. Um, but again, I'm not sure who's actually involved, how dedicated they are, if this is actually like a full-time thing. But I think from my understanding of what I've seen, this is more like we needed to do this thing. I wanted to show this thing. I wanted to play with this thing. So here's this thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of work that can be done. Like I said, it doesn't take into account sort of Figma properties, which is how components should be set up in terms of creating variants. Um, so if, if you go and create variants currently in Figma and create properties, um, it, it, it won't work with Figmagic. Figmagic will be like, what, you're smoking something weird? Because it's looking for a very specific set of information from Figma and it's set to receive that information. That's not saying that it can't be rewritten to receive different information. Um, but in terms of nesting, or yeah, sub tokenizing your system. Um, Fig Magic right now doesn't support that. Um, but again, it's it depends how your system's set up. How modular do you want it to be? Um, you can be quite strict in terms of how your theming uh, token system works. Um, I always like to separate things as much as possible and make things as modular from the get-go. It doesn't mean that the application needs to be that modular. It just gives you the flexibility later. Because the problem is if you start pretty strict, to make it less strict later, you have to redo a lot of stuff. Um, so again, a, a lot of this sort of consulting work that I do around design systems or product systems is the thinking element prior to building the system is the most critical thing. Um, just building a thing to quickly do something is gonna end you in, in hot, hot trouble later. And always focus on on a simple system, right? So like I was showing there, it's, it's a simple set of buttons that does the specific things, but it, it does that thing really well, and then expound upon that. Um, you know, Gold's Law um, talks about 
complex systems that succeed are generally made from smaller systems that were built first and then became more complex. Problem in our world, we want the complex thing. We look at Salesforce Lightning Design System, we're like, we want that thing. But that thing's been in production 10 years and there's 300 people working on it. So, you know, they started somewhere. We all need to start somewhere. We've got the benefit of the learnings of the last 10 years. Um, But yeah. Amazing. Yeah, those are good points. So is this possible only React? Like what does FigJam, FigMagic um, integrate with? Yeah, so FigMagic is is built in React. This is possible with, with basically anything, right? Um, anything that can talk to the API and receive data. That that's the bit, that that's the glorious nature of APIs, right? Right? They're not they're not technology specific. Um, an API is basically just an endpoint to information. Um, you need to have access to that endpoint in terms of the handshake, the token, um, and you need to know like. Technically, you don't really need to know, you can query it, but it's good to know kind of what information is available at that APR, how it's structured, how to ingest it. Um, and that's where I think what FigMagic has done is, for me at least, exposed how that all works and how some of that stuff is being fed back. Um, and now, like, again, Figma's really good in terms of their API documentation, uh, their community is really great. So, like, finding that information is not difficult at all. Um, and they're pretty good at taking suggestions <laughs> um, because they want a lot of people to use their product um, and they want their product to be the product that everyone uses. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, to, to kind of give you sort of my high level thinking in terms of practice, the design system for Omnia is, again, going back to the removing the front end away from front end technologies or, or um, framework technologies. Um, I want to keep the component technology side as tech agnostic as possible, and then using that as a reference point to build into multiple different technology landscapes and frameworks. So Angular, React, um, so using things like Next.js, et cetera, um, and trying to be smart in terms of taking sort of as vanilla HTML, CSS, and presentational JavaScript as possible. Um, because once you go down a very specific road, it's quite hard to then move across to, to another lane. Um, but yeah. Cool. So I've, I've heard us talk a lot about JavaScript, Angular, uh, React, but a lot of engineering teams here, um, especially in the UAE, work on native. So where does iOS and Android fit in all of this? Yeah, so it's tricky, right? Because web technologies are web technologies and they're quite similar. Um, even if we look at things, I mean, in the UAE as well, like Sitecore, those kinds of things, .NET, PHP, um, they can ingest front-end pretty easily. So you can take a sort of web native, let's call it web native, um, sort of component library and move it into Angular, React, PHP, .NET quite easily, um, Java, etc. cetera. Uh, all of those things talk to each other quite well. Um, but when it comes to device-specific operating systems and technologies, it becomes quite tricky from a component yeah. functional perspective because it works very differently. Um, so, I mean, what we're doing at NetBank and, and I think what they're currently still working on is um, sort of utilizing and leveraging a token system very heavily. Um, so at least design is being implemented correctly and pulled through correctly into uh, native technologies. Um, what can be done in, in native technologies now, both Android and iOS, is you can basically create what's called, called an SDK, 
that has a component library within it. And you basically nest that SDK within your application and reference it for its components. So you're basically creating a, right. an a iOS project and an app that's not really a functional app, but it's more a housing for a whole bunch of components oh, yes. been built and structured that can be referenced in inside of another application. And that's basically what we would call an, like a front-end node pack, like node module. Um, for like an Angular or React component library. Oh. Yeah, that's actually how we do it at, at Al Hilal as well. Um, yeah. And it's a great tool because then our, our designers actually have access to to that application. And you can see yeah. all the components you built and if those components are being built correctly um, yeah. using that specific application for sure. Um, sorry, so we tried to stream directly to YouTube, but we are having problems there. But yeah, I, I will upload and you'll be able to uh, watch in your own time um, the stream on YouTube uh, after this. So probably tomorrow I'll I'll share the YouTube link. Cool. Um, I think that is all the questions that we have at the moment. Um, and Andrew, is there anything else you want to take us through before we sign off? It's been an hour. Yeah. Um, geez, it feels like it's been 20 minutes uh, and I feel like I'm I know. I know. <laughs> it feels like we just started. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I was saying, the design system masterclass that I ran at NetBank was like four and a half hours. Um, and I felt like I'd never be able to fill that time. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about this stuff a lot. And the problem, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I'm passionate about this. You and I are both passionate about this. Like we all are. Obviously, that's why we're on this, on this live stream um, and this masterclass. Um, and there, there, there's so much we could dive into um but at a high level like for me like what i want people to walk away from is these systems product systems design systems whatever you want to call it like they need to touch on every part of the journey of your design and that means all the way through to, to the code base um and from a from an organizational point of view when we can actually take as design be influencing code base in a good way um yeah, we're only going to make ourselves look better and give us a better platform within organizations. Great. We've got a question. Did you do a course with the creator of Fig Magic or you learned it all by yourself? Uh, so Mikhail, yeah, uh, big big ups to him. Hopefully, if he if he sees this or anyone mentions it or whatever, uh, I haven't done a, a, an injustice or disservice. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a hands-on learner. Um, I'd rather get stuck in and, and fail a lot to learn quickly or, or slowly because then that's how I understand it, right? I, I need to understand. So I'll basically start off with a, a base project, import things, test things, retest things, change things, tweak things. That's how I learn because then once like I struggle with the theory of things, I need to see the practicality. And once I understand the practically, if I do this, this happens. If I do that, this happens. Yeah. Then I get theory for myself. Um, so yeah, I didn't do the course. Um, I just kind of, I was Googling a whole bunch of things. This is what I want to do. Went down the rabbit hole of Google and Stack Overflow and all these things and projects and Figma plugins and for the last three weeks um, and got to a point yesterday, I was like, hey, this thing connects to this thing, works with this thing. If I do this, if I do that, then I get the results I want. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. Um, cool. So, question about so, micro animations. Yeah. Yeah. So Fig Magic actually does like create animation tokens. Um, so 
timing, all that kind of stuff um, is kind of included, uh, but at quite a high level from what I've seen. Um, but again, the if if Figma can give you the information, you can make it work on the other side, and th- and that's what gets me excited about this is the it's the the integration piece between the design tool and the technology, um, because that's yeah. always been sort of this this person handover, right? Um, and it takes thinking out of it, um, and also I mean you can have a developer sitting on this side of the world connecting to a designer on this side of the world's Figma file, and it's a seamless thing. Um, it's just yeah, getting getting to grips with the, the API and setting up correctly on the tech side. And from a designer so perspective, I, you don't, yeah. It, it, like, and this is why like, I think tools like Figmagic are great to, to test things and to figure things out. But I think, I mean, for us and for me at, at Omnia, like I want to go build my own integration to exactly. Figma because we have very specific requirements for how I want our system to work because it's going to support multiple systems. So it's it's not going to be the same cookie cutter experience. And, and you know, I was, I was watching a thing this week with Brad Frost talking about design systems and how frameworks are great, right? UI libraries are great, comp- uh, are great. component libraries are great, but they, they should be a starting point. Um, that they should be getting your foot in the door, your feet wet. Um, but all of our products, all of our teams have different requirements and different um, expectations. Um, so I think it's really important that you know we, we start from a base of, of, of learning from someone else's work, but then really diving deep and making it customizable for us so that it's kind of supercharged for what we needed to do. Because otherwise you'll be bashing your head against the table <laughs> like I was for the last week. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Andrew. So um, any resources you think people on this call can look up? When yeah, you, so, you integrations, how to connect design and code? Sure. I'll um, I'll send you, a, I've actually got a list. I was going to go through it, but we, we don't have time. Um, but links to Figma API, um, Figmagic, all of that good stuff. Um, talks from Brad Frost, articles from Brad Frost, lots of Brad Frost goodness. Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> Betsy, I'll send to you and you can post on LinkedIn and in the description cool. of the YouTube channel. Cool. Or you can post and I'll reshare. And let's yeah. let's try to get Brad on this call. Hashtag get Brad. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm sure we can make that happen. It's just a time difference thing that could be a problem. Yeah, yeah. So our next call um, in three weeks or so is with a, a metaverse person in North America. So nice. 6, 6 p.m. UAE time is like 9 a.m. their time. So I think yeah. we can make it work. Yeah, we can make it yeah, work. Yeah. That could work, yeah. Um, and then just to reiterate, like I said, I do work for Omnia. I'm going to plug Omnia. Um, we're doing some great work, um, and we're looking for great people. So if, if you're in the market, if you're looking for something fresh, um, yeah, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, and, and we can chat. Awesome. Do you have an Omnia careers page people can look at? Um, I will send you the link to that, but a lot of a lot of the stuff that we do is more word of mouth in terms of recruitment, just because okay. of the recruitment landscape at the moment is a bit crazy, um, and it's it's better to have that sort of one on one conversation. Um, but yeah, one last question from Ismail. Always from Ismail. He has to have the last word. <laughs> <laughs> So on the front end and back to front end, how do you manage that in, in JavaScript? Yeah, so again, it's the it's not so much, we, we've got to sort of decouple that JavaScript framework sort of thinking, right? Is 
we've got to look at it, the UI components. So like in, in my code base that I showed you is we, we had those elements, which are basically just components. Um, and so the front of front end should be focused on those things, not so much the data integration, the, the complexity in terms of the application, like data pages, all that kind of stuff. The front of front end person shouldn't be creating pages. They should be focused on the, 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 the minuscule things uh, from a design and UI perspective and making sure that technology from an accessibility, uh, browser support, all of that kind of stuff that everything is hunky-dory. Um, and then basically the, the back of front end should be coming in and using those components within their flows, creating pages, et cetera. Um, so I, like, I like to create a bit of separation there. So there's sort of the, the front of front end JavaScript stuff, and then there's the back of front end JavaScript stuff that pulls in the front of front end JavaScript stuff. Wow, that's that's great. Thanks, Andrew. So if anyone wants to know anything, uh, you all know where to find Andrew. He's on LinkedIn. Just drop him a DM. And let's continue this these discussions. I think it's a, it's a great discussion to have. And we need to get to a place where we can actually empower designers to start looking under the hood, right? Getting involved in the code at some level. It doesn't, you don't have to become a front-end engineer, but you have to at least understand how your designs are being implemented and have some ownership when it comes to um, the actual code that our users interact with, right? Which is the product itself. Totally, and, and don't be afraid to have the conversations with, with your technologists around like how, yes. how you'd like to see things work in your organization with your product. Like um, designers have greatly influenced uh, the landscape of the technology side of design systems. Um, yes. Like without design, we wouldn't have that side. Without that side, we wouldn't have users using the design, right? Um, so let's come together, have the discussions to say, hey, how do we make these awesome tools? Because you know that's how these things come about from conversations. Amazing. So this was well worth the wait. Thanks, Andrew. Glad you're feeling better. And thank you, everyone. Have an amazing weekend, and we'll see you on the next one.